What I have always reminded myself is to extend grace to myself, to the people around me, and to work together with organizations and with, with whomever I'm working with to make sure that I may be the first, but I'm not the only. And how do we create and retain uh, positions for diverse talent, whether it be Black women, Latinx, differently abled, LGBTQ+, to be reflective of the society in which we are. Hello, and welcome to Agnes Scott College's podcast, Journeys to Leadership, where we explore the paths of inspiring women leaders from around the globe. I'm Leo Kadiazak, president of Agnes Scott, and the host of this podcast. I hope that our guest stories not only encourage you, our listeners and leaders of today and tomorrow, but they also inspire you as you take the next steps in your own journey. Originally from New York, today's guest is now based in Atlanta, Georgia, and is taking the city by storm. She is an internationally renowned strategist, as well as an attorney, public speaker, and innovative leader. She is BlackRock's global head of business strategy for the Portfolio Management Group and head of the Atlanta Innovation Hub. Chanel is a member of the PMG Executive Committee and BlackRock's Investment and Trading Portfolio Oversight Committee. She serves as a member of the Executive Committee of the Metro Atlantic Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors and is a member of the Woodruff Arts Center Board of Directors. She previously served on the board of directors of Gibney Dance, a social justice arts organization, and the national board of the I Have a Dream Foundation. As a result of her community involvement, Ms. Frazier has provided keynote addresses at the United Nation headquarters in New York City. She is also a leader in BlackRock's Black Professionals Network, is active in its Women's Initiative Network, and is a member of BlackRock's Global Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Steering Committee. In recognition of her efforts to create a more diverse and inclusive workplace, she was named the 2020 and 2021 Empower Top 100 Ethnic Minority Executive Role Models list. She was the first BlackRock leader to receive this honor. Ms. Frazier earned her AB in government from Dartmouth College, her JD from the University of Virginia School of Law, and her LLM in taxation from New York University School of Law. A sought-after thought leader on topics such as innovation and sustainable development, today's guest is taking the meaning of leadership to a new level. Please join me in welcoming Chanel Frazier. Welcome to Journeys to Leadership, Chanel. We're delighted to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Lee. It's my pleasure to be part of this conversation with you. Well, our show, as you may know, focuses on leadership, and leadership doesn't just happen. It's a journey. During our time together today, we hope to explore your journey, the ups, the downs, the surprises, all of it, or at least as much as we can fit into this segment. So <laughs> let's jump right in. Great. Where did you grow up, and do you have siblings? Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I'm very proud to say that, uh, even though I call Atlanta home. And I am one of two children. And I have an older sister who is one of my closest friends and role models. And she'll kill me that I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say this. 
Uh, she's 18 years older than me, um, but we have a bond and a friendship that you would never be able to tell the age difference between the two of us. That's fantastic. So you're the baby. I'm the baby. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm the baby who makes the bold moves, as she would say. <laughs> I love that. Well, uh, growing up in New York and with your family, were there special influences that you saw coming from New York, from your family, it's sort of at the beginning of your leadership? Yeah, I would, I would think it were a couple of influences. One, starting with my family, and I talk about her all the time, uh, my maternal grandmother, Mary McGraw. She was instrumental in my upbringing. I, I always am a fan of young people having intergenerational, multi-generational experiences. She grew up in, uh, well, she was born in Albany, Georgia, and moved to South Carolina as a child with her dad, um, and eventually became a pastor in South Carolina during a time where it was unheard of for women to have these strong leadership positions in the church. Um, she even told me that there were moments and times in which male pastors would refuse to come to her congregational church because they, they, it was outside of the norm. And so I credit her for someone who uh, really thought outside the box, really pursued her passions and her dreams, but was someone who brought other people on along for the journey. So the journey for leadership with her wasn't just her by herself. It was a collaborative one. And the small church that she founded in Luray, South Carolina, is still being led by a woman, a woman who was one of her mentees. So I think one of the best experiences I had growing up is to be able to talk to my grandmother about life and the influences that she made on me. That is fantastic. And it sounds like you might be coming home to Georgia yes. as a result of her influence. <laughs> That's fantastic. But you did it with a detour to New Hampshire, to Dartmouth College, a liberal arts college. Uh, how did you end up going to Dartmouth? Was that where you, you know, had decided you wanted to go from the time you were a little girl? Why Dartmouth and why not somewhere else? So coming from Brooklyn, um, New Hampshire was not on my top list of locations just growing up. I'd, I'd actually never been to New Hampshire but for the uh, admitted students weekend. I was encouraged to apply by a very uh, savvy and helpful um, guidance school counselor, the public school that I attended in Brooklyn. I was valedictorian of my school. and She said, you should apply for all of the Ivy Leagues, uh, but also with a concentrated focus. Because I had a strong sense of community, she urged me not to go to a school that was incredibly large. I went from a 4,000 student uh, high school. And she says, you, you thrive on that sense of community. That's, that, that's what nurtures you is as you head into this next phase of your career and education, be focused on that. So a school that was, that was great for me academically, but socially and culturally was one that was very welcome. And I had the best time for, the, for those four years that I have in Dartmouth. And actually some of my closest, closest friends, including those who I travel with as buddies, are my college friends from Dartmouth. Well, I'm not surprised that you are a valedictorian, and those are very special years, those college years as well. But while you were at Dartmouth, what did you plan to be? You studied government. Did you think initially you were a tax lawyer? Mm -hmm. um, was that what you would go around Dartmouth saying, I'm going to be a tax lawyer? <laughs> no, no, that, that probably would not be a good party conversation. <laughs> 
But I did know I always wanted to be a lawyer. Like from the time any, you know, six-year-old, seven-year-old Chanel, um, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer, not what type at that point in time, largely because I thought about the impact that I could be making on people's lives for the better and being able to doing that within the confines of the law. There was only a brief period of time that I wanted to be an R&B singer. Like seriously, I thought I thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. Can you give us a little no. a little example, a little tune? L- let me let me explain to you why I won't do that and uh, why I did make that detour. My older sister recorded me as I was singing one day. She didn't complain. She didn't say anything else. She just handed me the cassette. Yes, I'm dating myself. So she handed me the cassette and said, "Just give it a listen." And I was like, "Who is that?" She's like, "That's you." So she didn't discourage me. She just gave me the objective facts of what I sounded. And again, <laughs> like a lawyer in training, you followed the facts and said, "Maybe something else." Right. <laughs> so I, you know, I, um, I, I was very focused on my lifelong dream of becoming a lawyer, and whether that took the form of someone who was involved in the nonprofit world or in business. Uh, that was always been a focus of mine. And, and I attained that lifelong dream. And it was an incredible feat for, not only for me, but for my family. It had this enormous feeling that I can't describe, that it was an enormous sense of pride, um, being the first in my family on both sides to attain a law degree. Um, and, and, and it was profound in a very meaningful way. It's interesting because so many students and others that go into law initially go focused on the social good and think that they're going to work for -for not-for-profits, but then recognize there are so many other ways Mm -hmm. to be able to serve. Um, Tell me a little bit about that journey, the journey deciding to be a tax lawyer, but again, going back to those roots of what you can do to help people at the same time. I think you have to think about, for me, it was thinking about what I ultimately wanted to do and understanding that there were multiple paths to get there. So if you want to do something where you're helping for the greater good of a society, you don't necessarily have to work for a nonprofit organization. You you should be you could be working for a corporate organization, which should be uh, contributing to the social good of, of of any society that we're in. And so when I thought of one of the big things for me, as I thought about my own upbringing and what it was like, my background in Brooklyn, and then heading to Dartmouth College, in many ways it was a bit of a culture shock. Um, and it was the first time in my life that I realized that my parents and my family, that we were from humble beginnings. And understanding what the economic wealth divide was, it was a, it is a quick lesson for me as an 18 and 19 year old student. And so when I thought about long term, what I wanted to do is like, what are the ways that I could help in terms of economic policy and drivers? Didn't think at the time I wanted to be in government. Um, did I want to do that in a nonprofit space? Did I want to do it in corporate? And I had a good advisor that said, you can take the armor of, of, of working for a nonprofit, or you could be the person who is driving from a business perspective and actually being one who contributes to that nonprofit organization. So with economic policy being on the forefront of what I wanted to do and moving backwards, I never knew I wanted to be a tax lawyer. I just liked doing it. I did it as a summer associate one year, and I was like, I'm a problem solver, and it was like putting together the pieces of a puzzle, and it's like, I actually like this thing that I thought was going to be really corny. Um, but as I broke it down, tax policy 
really gets to and governs how we think about economic policy. And then when I also think about where we are and, and uh, the state of the world and, and, and my stance as a, as a black woman who's navigating these spaces, you also think about social impact, cultural impact. Economic policy is closely tied to all those things that we hear about and are voicing our concerns and challenges and opportunities in the social arena as well. So I know it wouldn't always be a direct connection between tax and all of those things, but when you have a broader perspective of how the world works and seeing the interconnectivity of it all, it made sense to me. You mentioned as a Black woman navigating these issues, what has been your experience as a Black woman in your current industry? And you might want to mention a little more about BlackRock and what it does. Sure. Um, I have been in the industry now for close to 20 years. Um, and it's been a rewarding experience. I've done everything from being a, a lawyer <laughs> to a business strategist and now working to run our Atlanta Innovation Hub uh, for BlackRock in Atlanta. I would say I, my overall experience has been quite positive. Throughout my career, though, I have faced challenges. Um, it is something very unique to be in a space, in many spaces, where you are the first and many times the only. And then sometimes it can be lonely to be in that space where you are the first or the most senior person in an organization to do, to do the things that you're doing. And it seems so grand, but people also don't realize the toll that it takes because you are holding the banner for, for people and populations much larger than yourself and the people in the room. And so what I have always reminded myself is to extend grace to myself, to the people around me, and to work together with organizations and with, with whomever I'm working with to make sure that I may be the first, but I'm not the only. And how do we create and retain uh, positions for diverse talent, whether it be Black women, Latinx, differently abled, LGBTQ+, to be reflective of the society in which we are. Um, and I've been proud to be on that journey with BlackRock. BlackRock is the world's largest asset manager. Um, we have a strong presence at, uh, globally, but particularly here, here in Atlanta. And when I think back to BlackRock's purpose is to help more and more people obtain financial well-being. That does not only get to our clients who, for whom we are fiduciaries, but thinking about the impact that we can make broader, broader stakeholders, whether it be civic organizations, nonprofit organizations. I think about a broader sense of stakeholders here in Atlanta itself, because this is a, an environment that has given us the social license to operate and to lead. And so we should be contributing to all of those things. So when I think about the tax lawyer who wanted to be involved in economic policy, what do you think about in terms of wealth and income, and then now be working for an organization where our core purpose is helping more and more people realize financial well-being? It is not by accident. It is intentional. It's interesting. One of the things at BlackRock I know that you're focusing on is how to expand its presence in Atlanta, especially the Phenomenal Innovation Hub, many people would wonder, how do you go about doing that? Mm. Um, how do you develop those relationships? How do you 
represent a company like that um, with a goal to expand its presence? It's not only expanding our presence, but it's deepening our impact. So we don't come into the community with the ideals of we are um, an organization, we're known very well, we're just, what, what we do in other locations will work well here in Atlanta. No, we take the approach that we're a global firm, but it has to be a very localized presence. And so in terms of our innovation here in Atlanta, I would consider it not to be separate and apart from what we do if you have like an R&D lab or a separate lab that's away from where your populations and people sit, but a core part of our business. Every part of our business from how we invest for our clients, how we create portfolios, even how we onboard and service those clients. Innovation should be key. And so when you ask, how do we look to recruit and, and look for partnerships in terms of recruiting? It has to take a very diversified approach in order to reach the diverse populations and people that we have sitting within our Atlanta Innovation Hub. So we have phenomenal partnerships with many of the universities here, including Agnes Scott, um, and, and partnerships with local civic organizations, Chamber of Commerce, and partnerships with many of our fellow um, large institutions that sit here in Atlanta. Our focus has been making sure that a majority of our people, a majority of our employees, our professionals here at Black Rock Atlanta are local to Atlanta. We didn't come here with the ideology that we should be San Francisco 2.0 or New York 2.0. It needs to be Atlanta best in class. And so when you think about the talent that exists here from the university community to the innovation and technology ecosystems, which are continuously evolving, it's made for a very successful thus far and rewarding experience. And so we're just looking forward to doing more and more. So it's not only those, but I would say it's not only those external partnerships, but also our people. When people like, love where they work, they love what they're doing, they are the best stewards for us and the best recruiters. So part of my process of expanding our reach is also making sure I re-recruit the 500 and plus individuals who sit within our Atlanta IHUB, that they feel engaged, they can feel like they can collaborate, and they feel like they can be proud to say, I work at BlackRock Atlanta. Well, I can tell you that we're proud to say, as a college that's known for innovation, we're proud to be a partner with BlackRock. Um, but you touched on something that many of our students and, and others ask about, which is you know, location, location, location. And there's a belief that you may have to go you know, to the bigger city, like New York, to make it big, um, versus necessarily Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about that? I think that you can be as successful here in Atlanta than you can be in New York and San Francisco. And so for us, in building this microcosm of the firm here in Atlanta, we are making that intentional statement that you can do that. It's not only early career professionals who sit here. We also have individuals who are uh, senior investors, senior traders, client-facing individuals, senior uh, software developers and coders who sit here. Because as important as it is to recruit, particularly those early career professional levels, imagine what you can be, what you can see. And you need to be able to see it 
right here in Atlanta. And so I was proud that we had a number of individuals who were promoted in this year's promotion cycle at, at BlackRock Atlanta, including four individuals who were promoted to the managing director, which is one of the most senior corporate titles here at the firm. Um, I think it's a narrative that we have to continue, that we uh, put out there and we continue to show people what great looks like and what great looks like here in Atlanta. And success is not only promotion and corporate title, it's also, it's also do you like what you do for a living? You spend more hours in the day with the people you work with. Well, normal circumstances, not COVID. <laughs> Well, or you do on Zoom. Oh, you do on uh, Zoom. Or another or, media. <laughs> right. Uh, and so you should be, you should enjoy it and you should uh, work for a firm for which you have a shared vision and purpose. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned sort of success in that context. How do you see your success? Um, one, do you see yourself um, as successful, you should, um, but how, and you talked about giving yourself grace. You know, there are times you've doubted yourself on the journey. I think any great leader would tell you that at some point they have doubted. If they have said they have not, they're probably fibbing in a major way. <laughs> or they're, or they're, or they're... I would agree with that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or there is a gut check that is not happening. Um, there has to be a certain amount of humility around all of this. Doubting myself, maybe is it maybe a stronger questions, am I doing the right thing, right? Am I doing the right thing? Um, is my approach correct? But what I always think about is overall, what am I trying to do? What is my personal pur purpose? Whether it be at work, at home with my family, with my loved ones. And I always think about, Whenever the day comes that I am no longer of this earth, that the people who loved me, and maybe even the people who didn't love me. <laughs> I can't imagine that there would be anyone. That, that there is something to be said that I left things, relationships, people, partnerships better than where I found them. And so if I keep that in the back of my mind as I'm pursuing the decisions that I make, is this in the direction of it, it? And every decision that's a right decision doesn't always feel good in the moment. On this journey, and as you're talking about this, have there been things that have surprised you about yourself as you reflect on your journey? Yes. Um, my 22-year-old self would not think that I was no longer going to be a lawyer. I thought I was going to work at a law firm or at in-house firm and be senior counsel of some sort. Um, but what has surprised me was how transferable many of my skills were, my desires, my passions, um, and my ability to think through and, and want to uh, build enterprises, how beneficial that could be, not only in the, in the corporate tax, you know, corporate tax or law firm, um, arena, but also as you think about in investment teams. And so I would say it's surprising to me the shift that my career has taken um, in a way that I feel like I am doing what it was intended for me to do at this moment in my life and my career. And so being okay with that pivot, uh, not having this, I, this is what's going to be the ultimate goal for me in my career, you stop there. 
I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And I'm okay with that because I have the mindset of an innovator and one who loves to continue to evolve. You may have answered my next question um, because at you were, we were reflecting and looking back and I wanted to ask, as you look toward the future, what excites you? Opportunity. I think about that in a few spaces, what we're doing at BlackRock as a whole, what we're doing particularly in our investment teams. I have the great honor of running business strategy for one of the largest investment teams, our portfolio management group, how we are striving for outperformance and for returns for our clients. I think about that here in Atlanta, running the innovation hub, the opportunity. Uh, when I started on this journey in, in May of this year, it's hard to believe it's only since May, we had 300 people who sat within our offices. Now we're climbing close to 600 and counting uh, with one of the most diverse populations. An individual- Congratulations, <laughs> that is you. just amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And, and, and populations who come from diverse backgrounds, educational backgrounds. I think about the opportunity here, um, but I also think about our strategy. I think about our strategy, and the strategy I've laid out earlier this year was on three key pillars. What we're doing for our workforce and our culture, our people, our greatest assets, how we continue to support them in their growth. But the other two pillars, our community engagement, and our client engagement. As I mentioned before, you know, we can't sit here and do business in Atlanta without being a neighbor in every sense of the word. So our community engagement has to take the form of our nonprofit engagement, our university engagement, our civic engagement. And I guess the last one would be our client engagement, the third pillar. At the end of the day, we are fiduciaries to our clients. And so that three-pillar approach should inform every opportunity that we currently know of and the ones that we haven't quite uncovered yet, but we will through the great partnerships we've had, the leadership, um, and also because of the thriving community that has really welcomed us here with open arms. Well, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Are there last words of encouragement or advice you'd like to give to our listeners? I'd like to give the advice, I understand most of your listeners happen to be women uh, and happen to be women who are earlier in their careers. And I've said this to someone yesterday, one thing that I was afraid to do or reticent in doing earlier in my career is taking up space. And I mean that in a proverbial sense. It is okay to disrupt things for the betterment and for the good. I keep in the back of my mind, leaving something better than which I have found it. And so if I'm speaking up on something, if I'm helping to drive a change, if I'm helping to contribute, it does not serve me any good to be a wallflower. It serves me and everyone around me to take up that space, to use my voice, and to use all of my talents to make sure that not only I'm creating impact, but particularly myself as I think about myself as being a woman of color, in many instances where I'm the first and the only, it is incumbent upon me to take up that space, not just for myself, but for every generation who will come behind me, such that I am at the seat of the table. I am simply sliding over and making room for other people. So take up space. 
Your future self is relying on your current self to do just that. Chanel, you are such a star. Thank you so much for your time. To our listeners, I hope you were encouraged and inspired. I know I was. Chanel Frazier's journey is one of many that we can't wait to share with you. Thank you for joining us. I also want to thank our producer, Sydney Perry, for making the podcast possible. I am Leocadia Zach, and this is Journeys to Leadership. Looking for more content? Check out Leading Everywhere, the Agnes Scott College podcast, a show that shares the stories of the campus community students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.